beginning in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what his new teaching is that you are, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are all indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed him, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's pray. Father, what we are preparing to do and will do in just a minute in preaching the word, Lord, can become just such a routine for us. Lord God, stir us. Lord, stir our hearts, stir our souls by your spirit. Be at work as your word is preached. God, pierce our hearts. Help us to not simply be hearers of the word, but be doers of your word, God. Help us not to just listen well. Help us to do well, Lord God, for your honor, for your glory. God, we love your word. Now unpack it before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The building blocks of worldview. We've got... We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. I want to begin with worldview is everywhere. And think of these last week and this week, in some ways, we're kind of trying to give a little bit of a, of a primer, if you will, that primer thing on your 
You men on your weed eater, right? To get the engine running, you got to pump that bulb a little bit. That's what we're doing. We're trying to get some fuel into the fuel lines to be able to start the engine. All right? So we begin with worldview is everywhere. It's everywhere, church. It is everywhere. Going to give you a couple quick um, examples of that that are relative to where we all live to begin. So before it was ever named uh, Nemo and Friends at Epcot, that, that exhibit called Nemo and Friends, which is kind of cool, before it was ever Nemo and Friends, before there ever was a Nemo, it was called the Living Seas. The Living Seas at Epcot is, is or was an invitation to explore the birth of the seas, how'd they come to be. And so I want you to Enter with me into this auditorium, this theater of sorts of the living seas as a voice comes over the speaker and says this. Ocean exploration has come a long way, but how did the ocean form? When did it form? The answer to those and many other questions are about to surface in a dramatic film simply titled The Sea. Cue the ocean sound. You're amazing. (laughs) First, dark eeriness of outer space. Next, countless white spots of brilliance. The voice then invites us to imagine a place, quote, somewhere in the endless reaches of the universe, on the other edge of the galaxy of 100,000 million suns, deep within the cluster of slowly forming planets, a small sphere of just the right size, a sphere just the right distance from its mother star. Action erupts on the screen before you. The molten earth is shown as a young planet slowly cooling. Thousands of volcanoes are spewing out gases and steam. The room begins to shake. The voice continues, and then the clouds of gas and steam condense and rain upon the planet. Cue rainfall. That's some pretty sad rainfall. (laughs) I didn't cue let the air out of the tire. (laughs) Okay. Rain, the voice says. Rain, rain, rain. The voice says more intensely, a deluge. Water washed down bare slopes of the lifeless planet. Finally, the seas themselves were born. Green waters foaming and uh, and churning. And here began the greatest mystery of the universe, life itself. From the chemicals in the primeval ocean arose tiny, single-celled plants that captured the energy of the sun, producing the oxygen required for the more advanced organisms to evolve. Now grab the children by the hand, and we're going to walk out of that theater. We're going we're to make our way over to the universe of energy. We're Bill Nye, the science guy will explain to us that we, our early ancestors, were apes. Two quick exhibits at Epcot. The overall theme of Epcot is you and I are random accidents. Mothers, grab your children by the hand and go to the library. You're going to grab some books, some good reading material to read to the kids, and you happen to just grab a copy of the Berenstein's Bears Nature Guide. Berenstein's Nature Guide on the cover says, 
everything small bears and kids need to know about wonderful, the wonderful world of nature. And in the nature guide, the bear family invites us and invites the young reader to join them for a nice nature walk. The walk begins on a sunny morning. We run into a few spider webs and bugs and different sorts of things. And then we read these words on the screen. I'll start at the top of the page. The thing and place here on earth and out in space, nature's the sun, the moon, the stars, it's faraway planets. It's the mountains, the valleys, the shore, the sea. Nature is you, nature is me. It's all that is or was or ever will be. And that is a lot to talk about on just one nature walkabout. It's all that is or was or ever will be. That's worldview. That's worldview at Epcot. That's worldview with the bear family. The worldview of the bears is that nature has no creator. It always was and is and ever will be. Actually, it sounds a lot like God, doesn't it? Nature is God. And when nature is God or when nature is all that is or was or ever will be, then we heard in the Truth Project this morning in our class that all ethic is gone. All morality has left the building, if that statement is true. One more example on how worldview is everywhere this week, actress Alyssa Milano tweeted out that both, this is not a quote, but both scripture and science now affirms her view for abortion. Which is interesting because both scripture and science actually prove the existence of the fetus is more than a fetus. It is a living baby in the womb. Building blocks to worldview. To, to, when you start to think of building, building blocks, there's really, there's, there's five core categories or five building blocks. Or some folks say that there's four, four or five um, big categories when you think about worldview. Here they are. Origins, purpose, evil, salvation, and eternity. In question form, they sound like this. Origins. Let's talk about where did we come from? Why do I, well, not why, we'll get to that in a minute. Where do we come from? Who am I? Purpose, why do I exist? Evil, what's wrong with this world? Salvation, what can be done to fix what's wrong with this world? Eternity, what happens when it's all over? These are, these are really the, like I say, the four, maybe the five um, big categories of worldview. And, 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 and realize these are the four, five big categories of every living being. These are the questions that I believe God has written on our hearts. Now, the world and culture and Hollywood and, polit and politicians and professors and Epcot and bears answer those questions. Pick through those really quick, kind of how the world answers. Origins, who am I? Where did I come from? Answer, life is random. I just happen to be, I, I exist. I, I, there, there's, no, there's no creator there, in any of that. Somehow, nothing 
exploded into a something. And billions of years later, we now exist. Life is random. Purpose. Why am I here? Again, this is how the world answers these questions. So since if origin is life is random, then purpose, well, we lack purpose. Actually, it spins out in two directions. An individual who's saying, I lack purpose because I, I, I'm, my life is just random spins out into, so I will spend my life, my purpose must be just my own happiness, my own fulfillment. I'll just go and live it out and, and get as much of that as I can in the years that I live. It's pursuit of just my fulfillment, my happiness, and maybe I'll do some good things along the way, and hopefully I'll be able to leave some of that goodness to my children my children's children. Or it spins out in the other direction. My life is random. I'm completely hopeless. I have no purpose for living. Evil, what's wrong with the world? Here it's where um, you often hear about the problem of evil and people want the, the uh, that's posed to the Christian. Explain to me the problem of evil. And that's a good question. That's a question well, we were joking, Steve, in our community group this last week. We said, you know, it would really been fun if like 30 of us just kind of got together and said, let's go knock on Steve's door. Like he kept inviting us to last week. All of a sudden, 30 people show up on Sunday afternoon. Bring some ice cream. He likes ice cream. It's a good question. It's a question people should be asking. But it's not simply a question for believers, Christians to answer. I think that's a good question for every worldview to answer. The atheist needs to answer the same question. What is up with all the evil in this world? What is your answer? Salvation. How can what is, what is wrong with this world be fixed? How does the world answer that? Well, we just, you know, we got to get rid of all the ignorance. How do we do that? Well, we need to educate more. Educate, educate. Ed education is the answer to the world's problems. Or politicians, which is laughable, right? But, but that's the worldview that's out there, right? Like, if we, get every, if we get everybody on this side of the aisle, we could solve all the world's problems. Or if we get everybody on this side of the aisle, or then you got the crowd. Well, we just got to get everybody out of the aisle. <laughs> and that's what's going to solve the world's problems. That's a worldview. Eternity. Since we exist randomly, since my life has no purpose, we will all go to the grave and end of story. There's nothing after this life. Now, with all that in mind, we dive into our text this morning and we begin in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And I just want to pause there a moment because my prayer is that the spirit would be provoked in each of us. Are you provoked? Where you live, where we live, is the city full of idols. And does that provoke you? I don't say this to be dramatic or to be spiritual, but I believe the worldview conference that we're doing 
is that. I'm personally provoked. I think by the Spirit of God, provoked in regards to our conference to seek to help us in these categories. So his spirit was provoked because he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Paul is standing on the Areopagus. It's translated. It's where we get that Mars Hill. Mars Hill, which is also a college, right? And so that, um, yeah, do it have attended. And, but it's more than a college, right? Like this is, this is a place here in Athens. And, and it is here that Paul engaged. This is a city of intellectuals. It's a city of smart people, philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics, and don't have time to unpack their different philosophies. But Paul is addressing some of those things as he's moving forward. He, they're saying, who is this babbler? This is, a, this is the idea. Who is this second rate, second, uh, you know, this, this lower tiered smart guy who's rolling into our town And it's a city of worshipers. They are religious people. They are a worshiping people, but they do not worship God. And so let's pick apart our building blocks of worldview, these five different categories as it relates to our text. Number one is origins. Picking up again in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Wow. So this week, I just happened to bump into a TED Talk. It was by Jim Holt, who's a philosopher. And uh, the title of the TED Talk was, Why Does the Universe Exist? It caught my attention. What a great title, right? Clearly, it's a great title. Because in three and a half years, it has nearly four million views. That's pretty good. That's probably more than your TED Talk. Four million views. His talk, Why Why Does the Universe Exist, is 17 minutes long. At the end of 17 minutes, I kind of scratched my head and said, so why does it exist, Jim Holt? Because he never answered his own question. He did give this one cool quote that I thought was good enough to write down and bring it to you. It's by another philosopher, Martin Amos. Martin says, we are about five Einsteins away from answering the mystery of where the universe came from. (laughs) Okay, he probably could have just said that in 30 seconds and I'd have been good. Well, that's not encouraging. We're five Einsteins away from finding out where does the universe, how did we get here? Or... We could go to the God who created the five Einsteins and ask him, save us some time. So in verse 22 and 23, what I love what Paul's doing is he, he says, like, I've observed along the way that you've got all these gods. They had a pantheon of gods. And he said, and I saw that you've even got an altar to an unknown God. And what I love what Paul does there is he says, 
let's talk about that God. Because the God you don't know is the God I serve. And I want to tell you about the unknown God to you. I want to make the unknown God known to you. These people were about gods. In so many ways, right, we can look back in Scripture and we think, well, thousands of years ago, nothing relates. Uh, everything relates. It's so much like our day. Change the sandals and the robe, and it's today. We have a pantheon of gods. To all the gods that are out there. And actually, if you were living then and now, right, you could show up to Mars Hill and say, I've got a new God. And they would have said, great, bring them along. We're great with many gods in our day as well. It's when you proclaim there is one God that we have an issue. Paul runs with this. He says, let's talk about the one God that you call the unknown God. I want to make that unknown God known. And I love that because of what I see in that is Paul is showing these individuals, these guys who, are, who probably, probably have a level of arrogance. He's showing them great respect in what he's doing. He starts with where they are. He doesn't start the conversation with obliterating all their gods. He, he actually just says, let's talk about the one God that you don't know. I want to tell you about him. He doesn't start off with big terms or he doesn't start off with lifestyle change. He, 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 I would imagine if he's today, he invites him to the coffee shop to sit down and chat. He starts with where people are. They have questions about life. And church, I just want to say, that's the world we live in. People have questions about life. They're forming these worldviews in these different categories, and we need, to, we need to bring that about in conversation by asking questions of our own. We were made by God, and we were made for God. That's who you're interacting with. You're interacting with someone who's created by God and created for God. Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. The invisible attributes are made known. They're, they're clearly perceived. They're right before us in all of creation no, nature is not God. God created nature. Nature reveals God. And so it says, so they are without excuse. You have eternity written on your heart. And because that's true, people have questions. People were created for more. created for God and it's our job to help them to get to those questions and not be offended by their pantheon of gods not be offended by their language or by their disrespect or their lifestyle this is where we live this is our 
world. This is why we're doing the Worldview Weekend, the Word of God in our day. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What's Paul doing here? He's making his argument, right? He's talking origins. He's talking, where did we come from? In the beginning, God. God has created. He's not, what Paul is exposing to them, God is not just another one of your many gods. God is God. God is creator. There's something unique about this one God that you call the unknown God, this one you don't know. Here's what's unique. He is God. And so Paul is bringing them up against who is this God, right? When we say here at Trinity that when you're reading the word, what we want to be digging for is is not first and foremost, what does this mean to me or where, where am I in this text or Um, How do I find myself here? We want to find God. This this book exists to reveal God to us. Now, we have a response to that, yes. But our first task in reading the word is, who is God in this text? Who is God in this text? Well, he's certainly creator. Who else is God in this text? He's transcendent. He's above all other gods. He is self-sufficient. He's not made by human hands, he says. He is self-existent, self-sufficient, not created, transcendent, creator. God, he says, God who does not live in temples and is, is not made by human hands. Why? Because he doesn't need human hands. Because he created the human hands. Why would the creator who made the hands need the hands? And so idolatry becomes this cosmic, dishonoring, lowering of God. Because idolatry says, look what I made. I will run to this created thing that I made. This is literally like idols that are crafted and fashioned, but it's also the idols of our heart that we we make from our hearts things that we exalt in our own thinking. Look what I made. I will run to this created thing. All of those things are created things. And I will worship the created thing over the creator of the thing. Actually, I will not only worship the created thing over the the creator of the thing, I will worship the created thing and ignore the creator of the thing. I will ignore the one who created me and gave me the ability to create. Like all, all of us have an ability to create and everybody has a different, right, like level of gifting. But we're all, create, we're all created in the image of God and we are a creative people. And all of a sudden we start creating things and we start to 
worship the created things that we create. Um, Libby, didn't know I was going to say your name, <laughs> right? So Libby creates things in invitations. And have you seen them? Like, they're awesome. Like, you look at them, you go, that's amazing. Now, here's what's amazing, and I can say this because Libby is a worshiper of God. But what she creates is a limited thing. And anybody else who's a painter or um, maybe you're a poet or you're a writer or whatever it is that's creative in you is simply a reflection of a greater glory. Libby would be the first one to say she's never created a fox. She's never breathed life into a fox. She's, she's, she's drawn a fox and she makes this fox look beautiful in her invitation, but, but Libby looks to the creator of the fox who actually gave breath to the fox. And the best she can do, which is amazing, is to copy something that's already been done by the Lord and to, to a limit, right? On a, on a page, right? Like, now think about our world. Like, uh, museums are filled with this, right? You would travel to, to the Louvre and you want to see Mona Lisa. That's where you need to go, right? And, and there she is. And, and the crowds gather every day of the year to behold the glory of the Mona Lisa, which has no life. Paul is saying, look, all these other gods, they're created by human hands. But I want to tell you about the unknown God who is the creator of everything. He needs no hands. He's not made by human hands. Glory be to God. So idolatry is this cosmic, cosmic dishonoring of the creator. Origins is where worldview begins. Where did I come from? Where did you come from? Genesis 1.1 is so powerful. In the beginning, God created. Everything stands or falls right there. Francis Schaeffer said, Christianity doesn't start with Jesus saves you from your sins. It starts with in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what Paul is saying here is that, hey guys, got a lot of gods here. They're not created equal. There is one God, your unknown God, that I'm telling you about now, who wasn't made with human hands. He always was and is and always will be. They're not all right, all these religions that you're serving. One of these gods, then and now, transcends all the rest. One of them is right. Has to be. Can't all be right. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make rational sense that all the gods are right. It's good politically correct speech. But they can't all be right. 
if God is God, then God is right and the others are not right. But they can't both be right. It doesn't make sense. And so we got to do business with that. I want to encourage the church. I'm talking to believers now. I want to encourage believers in Jesus Christ. You need to do business with your worldview. Don't grow up in the church and just say, well, um, I was taught that the Bible is, is truth. Well, well, good and great. Now, do business with that. That's why Steve's encouraging questions last week. Do business with your Christianity and do business with the unknown God. Either he is God or he is not God, but he cannot be God and all these other gods be gods too. Origins. Number two, purpose. It's from origins. This is one that may or may not make the building blocks list. Sometimes this one is more connected with origins because it's so tightly connected. Where what you believe about where we can't come from then begins to flesh out what's the purpose for my life. If life is random, and we already talked about what's the purpose of my life, well, pursue happiness, do all I can do to get everything that I can get, do some good things, leave some, some wealth to my kids, and it's over. Or if life is random, life is completely hopeless, what's the point of life? But if in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that has an implication into our life. Why do I exist? I exist for the glory of God. He created. There are no accidents in the room. There is no randomness in the room. Now, that's true whether you believe in God or not. Here to tell you, you're not random. And when we realize that we're not random, that we were actually created by the creator who always was and is and always will be, wow, do we have a purpose to glorify, to worship, to live our lives serving our creator. We do not exist randomly. We do have purpose. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That, that's purpose, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of them. Here's more purpose. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Again, this is amazing what Paul's doing here. He's actually this, um, you're familiar with that phrase, right? In him we live and move and have our being, because way back when it was a worship song, and if you're old like I am, you remember it. You sang it 10 million times. Do you, do you know that that comes from here and that this here, it's pr probably in your Bibles, it's in quotes, right? Where is he quoting? He's quoting their own prophets. 
their own, sorry, their own poets. He's not quoting scripture here. He's quoting their poets. He's using them to, to unpack before them the unknown God. He said, let's go with your poets on this one. We might today say he's, he's quoting a song, like a contemporary song that everybody knows. Like worldview is everywhere. It's in the songs that we listen to. It's in the shows that we're watching. You can't drive down the road without seeing worldview on a billboard. It is everywhere. Do you recognize that? Do you see that? So for in him we live and move and have our being. Now that's true to scripture. We know that that's truth. But he's quoting their poets. Again, he's showing them respect. He's, he's, he's coming alongside of them where they are. And he says we are his offspring. Meaning what? The creator is the source for our life. We, we exist not because of some random thing. We, we, we exist because we're his offspring. And he's speaking to these individuals who've created all these gods, right? Who is the source of all these gods? Well, they are. He's saying, well, there's one God, this unknown God. You're not the source of that God. You didn't create him. He created you. Make sure I say that right. You're the source of all these idols. These are reflections. They're, they're image bearers of a sort of those who created them. You are an image bearer. You, you are a reflection of the glory of God. Verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. What's Paul doing? He's walking with them. He's approaching them right where they are. He's kindly, respectfully exposing them to truth. He's relating to them. He's being in the world, but not of the world. He's not disrespecting them. Steve said last week, he's not destroying them. He's destroying their arguments. It's a huge difference. So appreciated that last week, Steve. There's no hint of self-righteousness here. There's no talking down. There's no indignation. He's simply helping them think through the ramifications of their own worldview. Helping them to think about the effort they've gone through to create all these gods and to even to go to such an extent that they want to make sure we don't miss one because we don't want to miss one. Everyone, everyone has a worldview. I think part of our job is to help ask questions, to help them think through what their worldview is. And let's not make that harder than it is. Meaning we don't have to come up with some profound, amazing questions. How about what do you believe? And why do you believe that? There doesn't need to be any self-righteousness to that, no indignation. It can be just relationship building over a cup of coffee. Where did you learn that? Is there anything that you're reading, anything that you're digging into? 
And what you're doing is you're helping to unpack in an effort to care for them. You're helping, you're seeking to help people think through their ideas. Because a lot of this world, though everyone has a worldview, a lot of this world hasn't thought through that worldview, wrestled with that. Where did you learn that? Can we talk about that? I'm not offended if you're swearing along the way. I'm not trying to change your lifestyle. I'm trying to unpack for you what is the basis of your ideas. What do you base that on? And we're taking a genuine interest in people. I say a genuine interest in people, meaning people are not projects. People are people that we have the opportunity to care for. They're not our projects. For that reason, because they're not our projects, they can reject us and they can reject the Bible. And ultimately, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Christ. But that doesn't change anything. I mean, relationally. A person can reject what it is that that I'm sharing from, from the word, but... I'm still going to be your friend. So I'm having this conversation about a year ago in our Starbucks, and, and I just said to the guy, you know, we had talked a lot, and clearly neither one of us was budging. And we kind of wrapping up the conversation, and I just said, hey, you know I disagree with you. I know you disagree with me, but guess what? If I see you in Walmart, I'll high-five you. One of the things he shared with me is he's never been respected by a believer. I'm thinking at some point, his, his, the, I believe in, that ideas have consequences. And at some point, his worldview is going to hit against a wall. I want him to call me. Right? I want to pick up that conversation at that point. I want to treat him as a person, not a project. More questions. What can we be asking? Why is there evil in this world? Again, this is not a question just for the Christian to answer. Have you wrestled with that question? You need to be able to answer that question. That's not, that's not for this morning. It's a good one. It's a fun one. Steve is available this afternoon. <laughs> Knock on his door. <laughs> no, we welcome those questions. You need to wrestle with those questions. But the world needs to answer that question too. Why is there evil in this world? Let's talk about that. And then when we talk about that, what's your hope to the evil in this world? You're asking the Savior question with that, right? What's the hope for the evil in this world? How is this going to turn around? How much education is eventually needed? And what kind of government will finally be instituted that everybody's going to vote for? And suddenly we're going to eradicate all evil in this world. How is evolution working out for us? Again, don't say that. I don't, if there's any sarcasm in my voice, that's not my intent. With respect, we want to have these conversations. We want to talk these things out. All religions are basically the same. Please explain that to me. How can they be all the same? How does that work? How are they similar? How are they different? How has, this is practical, how has, well, how have you sought out Money and sex and relationships and drugs and government and education to be the answer to the world's problem. And how is that working out? 
It's Ecclesiastes, isn't it? You're here this morning and say, but I'm not Paul. I can't do it. You're right. You're not Paul. I'm not Paul. You're wrong. You have the same spirit of God in you as Paul. So what do I need to do? I need to dig in. We are a soft Christian culture today. I question myself whether or not I wanted to challenge you in this this morning. and I do. <laughs> I want to challenge you. We need to dig in. What does that mean? We need to study. It means we need to get off of social media and stop binge watching everything that comes up. And we need to dig in and study. We need to be able to, 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 be able to give a reasonable dis- defense. 1 Peter 3.15, for the hope that is in you. We need to grow. We need to read. We need to pray. We need to come to the conference and be educated in these things. We need to get into conversations with folks. We need to get into conversations with Steve as he invites questions. You should have had questions last week. He should have been overwhelmed this week. He should have been saying, Tim, I need help. Well, Steve, you're on your own. (laughs) No, you need to be asking questions and asking questions of each other. We need to be digging in and getting engaged. Recently, a couple weeks ago, Kim and I went to um, Cindy and Maddie do a sign language class on Tuesdays. Sign language class. They've been doing this for a long time. These two ladies are my heroes. Because I sat in this class and I was just, wow, like, this is so impressive. This is so much work. You got to be committed to this. All in on this one, right? I'm going to do the sign language class is what they've determined to do. And I thank God for these two ladies who are doing that. And the reason they want to do it is they want to serve folks who are part of the deaf community who so often gets kicked to the curb, ignored, not a place for you. And they are seeking to make the effort and care for folks to learn to communicate with them. It's amazing. Can't think of a more caring thing to do for that community. But I was also thinking about it and I thought, if I had a child who was deaf, what kind of effort would I give to learning to communicate with my child? Dig in, church. That's the world we live in. What kind of effort will you give to this world? I don't mean everybody needs to learn sign language. I mean we need to learn the language of this world. We live in this world, not of this world, to be able to engage, to be able to have conversation with the world. Now, with worldview, there are always implications. Ideas have consequences. So if you believe that education is the answer to all the problems in the world, then you need to give yourself every bit of you, serve education. That's not to say, uh, thank God we have educators in here. I think education's important. We've devoted a lot of our life to education. Well, actually, she has more than I have. We believe in education. We just don't believe it's the savior of the world. It never answers the problem of evil. And if you believe that the politician is the answer or the policies are the answers, and by the way, we need Christian policies, we need Christian politicians entering into, right? we need Christians engaging in every category in our world, okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. 
But if you believe that's the answer to the problem of evil, then you should tithe to it. Give more than your taxes. Give offerings. Never thought of that, huh? It actually is an interesting thought, isn't it? For those who believe that policies or politics or a certain politician, and I guess some do, I've never given offerings to a politician. Or here's another way to put it. All of us should be tithing to whatever you think is the answer to the problem of evil. All of us should be tithing to whatever it is you think is the, pro- is the answer to the problem of evil. Find your God there and give to it. Believe in it enough that you will give, you will empty your pocketbook. Number three, evil. Verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold, silver, or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. If that is not the definition of evil, evil is that humanity sets up idols and rejects the one true living God. The Roman culture and our culture, as I said, is a lot alike. Our culture is fine. Add to the gods. You bring your God to. No problem. Until you start to unpack the unknown God. If you believe in origins that God created, the heavens and the earth, and because he did, you have a purpose to glorify him. Or another way to say it is that there are very real implications to your worldview and even more so for the Christian who is completely convinced. Are you completely convinced God created the world, that he created you, and he did so on purpose? Are you entirely convinced of that? Because if you are, there are implications to that. (laughs) But yeah, even in that, right? You and I are sinners. We bring evil into the world. Origins, God created. Purpose, you have a purpose because God created evil. We are sinners. Salvation, he sent his son to redeem you, to give your life purpose, redeemed purpose and meaning to the glory of God. That idea has consequences. Do you believe what I just said? Created by God, purpose, evil in the world. God sent his son. Not only did he create you, he redeemed you. Purpose, purpose, purpose. There's consequences to that idea. In him we live and move and have our being. Like we serve together because of origins, because of purpose, because of redemption. We gather in worship on a Sunday morning because of origins, purpose, evil, redemption. God created and he calls us to a life of respect and honor and worship and he calls us to do that together in community, celebrating the one true living God. And then he calls us to evangelism, to go into all the world. Evil came into the world came into the world at the beginning, in the origins as well, right? 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For us, three chapters later, has God really said? That's worldview. Has God really said? Still the same question today. Number four, salvation. Verse 18, it says he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Look at verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent. Repentance. Trust in Jesus Christ. God sent his son into this world to heal the breach that separates us from God, to offer forgiveness for our sins. As sinners, we have the opportunity to repent and to be drawn into relationship with him. Those who reject the creator and seek to live life independently from him, he calls you to repent or he offers us to repent. We get to repent. What do we say to the intellectual, the Epicurean, the Stoics of our day, the idolatry of our day? Well, we say what Steve preached last week. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul wasn't cowering. He trusted God. He didn't run from it. He engaged it. Because he was so provoked by their lostness seen in their idols. To be blunt, we can be to, the, to hell with the world. They've made their bed. You can sleep in it. Far too many believers are offended by this culture, even angry with the culture. And so here's the spectrum. The spectrum runs from, I am so afraid of the culture, I won't engage it. I won't even ask some simple questions. To, I'm so angry at the culture that I will address it by spewing on it. I refuse to engage it on the one hand out of fear. I will engage it with my self-righteous indignation. 1 Peter 3. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Worship team, you can join me. Number five is eternity. We find it in verse 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I'll just finish it out. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, right? We're talking eternity now. Some mocked. Some will mock. But others said, we will hear you again on this. So some seem to be kind of maybe perked a little bit. Let's talk some more on this. So 
So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed him. And then he lists some of their names. There is a day, you and I, ha, just as sure as you were born, there will be a day where you and I will die. It's not all over. Where do you get that from? Origins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Life isn't random. The afterlife will not be random either. Praise be to God. Would you stand with me? Father, would you help us to wrestle with these just really just building blocks, foundational building blocks of worldview? God, Lord, stir our hearts where we need to be stirred. Lord, stir us out of slothfulness where we've been slothful. Lord, we, we, our faith needs to be deeper than this is what the preacher told me or this is what mom and dad told me. Why do you believe what you believe? Because this is what I was told I need to believe. Oh God, I pray that we would be a people that would have questions, that would wrestle with your word and be all the better for it. Lord, that our convictions would be driven deep by those streams of water, Psalms 1. Lord God, would you help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.